glad that you are here also. Uh, my name is Bill Gorman. I'm one of the pastors at Christ Community. I usually am at our Brookside campus, so it's a treat to get to be with you here at Shawnee this weekend. Hopefully you had a good Thanksgiving celebration. And as we continue worshiping uh, together in our service today, I'd love to pray before we uh, look into God's Word together this morning. So if you would join me in that, let's do that now. Father in heaven, thank you that you've given us the gift of your Word. Thank you for this season of Advent where we remember that you have come for us and that you are coming for us again. So we pray now that as we look at your scriptures, that your spirit would make these words live in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, sometimes what you don't know can help you. Sometimes what you don't know can help you. Let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, if you are newer to church or newer to reading the Bible, or maybe if you're here and you're a kid and you're just, you're, you haven't been alive for that long yet, so you're still new to reading the Bible, sometimes you're actually at an advantage, especially during this Advent season. Because for many of us who have been around church for a long time, these stories of the Bible, especially the stories of Christmas that are so often read and reread and retold, they are so familiar to us that we often miss out on the bizarre and fascinating details just because we've heard them so often. So if you're newer to reading the Bible, if you are a kid, you're often at an advantage reading these familiar Bible stories because you notice things that others of us miss. And one of those details I want to focus us on this morning in this passage that we just heard read is the angel's. And the angels in these accounts of the Christmas story, they're, they're really as much a part of the imagery of Christmas, right, as Santa and Rudolph and all that. We see the pictures of the angels. We hang angels on our Christmas trees as ornaments. They're, they're as much a part of the Christmas decoration as Santa and Rudolph. And if I had to guess, for probably many of us, whether we consider ourselves Christians or not, they probably even sort of in our minds fit in the same category as Santa and Rudolph. But here in Luke chapter 1, they are presented as real historical figures. They're, they're not symbolic or metaphorical, which I get. That, that challenges our sort of modern Western view of the world and reality. But my hope is this, that by the end of this message, even if you still have questions and doubts, you will at least want this picture of reality that the Bible opens up to us, that you'd want that view of reality to be true. Even if you're still wrestling with whether you can actually believe it to be true, I hope that you leave this time with a longing, a hoping, a wanting that it would be true. Because the presence of the angels here in these passages reveal a profound truth about what Christians believe. And, and that is that we believe that we have a God who fights for us. And uh, because we have a God who fights for us, that we can rest that he's able to give us rest. And after all, isn't rest what the holidays are all about? Just a wide open calendar with nothing on it. Low stress, uh, nothing to buy or cook or clean. Of course not. I mean, December is just the relaxed month, right? right? How many of us, seriously, right, look at our calendars and we're like, ah, what a slow, restful, quiet time of year. 
The busyness of the holiday season is crazy often, right? The, and, and not just sort of the holidays themselves, but in different fields of work, kind of wrapping up at the year end, sales goals. Maybe if you're in medicine, there's lots of those elective surgeries at the end of the year that you're attending to. Reports, travel, hosting, the food, prep, decorating, all of that. But the presence of the angels and the story of Jesus' birth remind us of the incredible reality that God is the God who fights for us, who gives us rest. And there's actually a specific name of God used in the Scriptures that focuses on His character and who He is as the commander and ruler of the spiritual forces of the cosmos, of the angels and spiritual beings. And this name is, is actually, in all of its various forms, it's used 284 times in the Bible. And the name is this. It's, it's in our English translations, it usually is translated Lord of Hosts. Lord of Hosts. And this is actually the first of five names of God we're going to focus on this Advent season in a series we're calling He Shall Be Called. And we're going to trace what each of those five names of God reveals about who God is, about the God who has come to find us, and how these names find their ultimate meaning in the person of Jesus. God made human, the one who has come to rescue us. And so today we're going to go on a journey together as we look at this name, the Lord of hosts. And as we do that, we're going to discover the truth that Advent means that we can stop striving and start resting. The Advent means we can stop striving and start resting. If you only remember one thing for today, if you only write down one thing today, I hope it's that, that, that Advent means you can stop striving and that you can start resting. So first, Advent means that you can stop striving. Advent means you can stop striving because the Lord of hosts fights for you. You can stop striving because the Lord of hosts fights for you. Like I said, this is one of those titles or names for God that is used over 280 times in the Bible, but it's also one of the most mysterious names. And it's one that translators, both ancient and modern, have really wrestled with. How do we, how do we communicate this? How do we translate this? And, and I don't think, actually, that host is a particularly helpful uh, English translation for us, because it almost sounds like the Scripture is saying that God is the Lord of everyone who puts on dinner parties, like somehow he's the original Martha Stewart or Joanna Gaines. He's the Lord of hosts and hostesses. Um, I mean, that's, that's not particularly helpful in getting at all at what this means. Because in the biblical imagination and meaning, host is a way of talking about heavenly beings, about angels, which is, again, uh, in, in the ancient Hebrew view of the world, which is very different than our modern Western view of the world, right, that, that, that spiritual beings are associated with the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, that when they looked up into the sky and saw all those things, they weren't just seeing glowing balls of gas or planets, but they were seeing these realities that represented spiritual beings. And so I want you to listen this morning to a little bit of Psalm 148, where you kind of get a picture of this, where we kind of get to step into this Hebrew worldview for just a moment. And just a quick note, too, as we do this this morning. Typically at Christ Community, we sort of, in a sermon, are just going to pick one passage and just kind of camp out in that text and kind of explain it in depth. But today we're going to go on a little bit of a journey through a number of different passages to explore this theme of the Lord of hosts. So if you have your Bible with me, certainly feel free to follow along, turn to these passages, but they're going to be on the screen. And so if you would rather just kind of sit back and, and read them on the screen, feel free to do that. So listen, this is Psalm 148. And listen as I read these first few verses. 
for kind of the overlapping language of heights and heavens, of sun and moon and stars and angels. They're all kind of talking about the same reality. Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. There's the heaven language. Praise him in the heights. So another kind of language of, of heights and heavens. Praise him all his angels. Praise him all his hosts. Right? So this is this language of hosts. Praise him sun and moon. Praise him all you shining stars. Praise him you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Okay, so this is the language of angels, of hosts, of kind of spiritual beings, heavenly beings, kind of being wrapped up together. Okay, we got that. Great. But where, Bill, where are you getting this idea that this means that God fights for us? That God is fighting on our behalf? Well, for that, we need to turn to Isaiah chapter 31. And in Isaiah 31, this is being written at a time when God's people, Israel, were being threatened by a military invasion. There is an army from the north that is massing on their borders. They are fearing for their lives, for the destruction of their families. This is a moment of utter terror. They're afraid for their lives. They're searching around frantically for a human military alliance that will help them be rescued from this enemy. They're looking for a human answer to this problem. And in, in fact, the, the place that they're looking to is, is Egypt. Now, if you know a little bit of the biblical story, you, you probably remember that Egypt is the place that God's people were enslaved. This is hundreds of years after that. They've come into this land that God has given them. But now they're looking back to Egypt, this other military superpower, saying maybe Egypt can rescue us from the invaders from the north. But God says, don't do that. Don't look to Egypt. Don't look to that country, that people that used to oppress you. I will fight for you. So listen to Isaiah chapter 31. This is the first five verses or so here. Where God says to his people, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many and in horses because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. The Egyptians are man and not God, and their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, the helper will stumble, and he who is helped will fall, and they will all perish together. For thus the Lord said to me, as a lion or a young lion growls over his prey, and when a band of shepherds is called out against him, he is not terrified by their shouting or daunted by their noise. So the Lord of hosts that language. So the Lord of hosts will come down to fight on Mount Zion and on its hill like birds hovering. So the Lord of hosts will protect Jerusalem. He will protect and deliver it. He will spare and rescue it. That's a really powerful image in that passage, isn't it? The, the idea of this lion growling over its prey. And can you imagine, maybe you've seen this in a nature show. There's these, these lions that are, are feasting on, on a wildebeest or some other animal that they've caught. And whether it's a, another animal uh, or something that comes, comes by, the, all the lion has to do is just look up and growl. And those vultures, they flee away. And that's, that's the picture in the, the text is there's this lion that's it's feeding on this animal that is killed. And they say, we need to send some shepherds out there to chase the lion away. And, and the shepherds get there and they're making all this noise trying to chase the lion away. And he just looks up and growls and they run away. That's how God is being depicted here as he fights for his people. 
God is a powerful lion who will defend his people. They, they don't have to fight for themselves. I love how Hebrew Bible scholar C.L. Seow describes this. He says, the name the Lord of hosts denotes God as victorious warrior enthroned as king who fights the battles of his people in the historical realm and will fight the ultimate battle in the end of time. And a powerful example of this in the Bible itself is the story of David and Goliath. And this is the story of, of God's people. They're being oppressed by an enemy, just like they were in the Isaiah passage. They're being oppressed by an enemy, the Philistines. And they had this, this champion, Goliath, who, who was this kind of giant of a man who is threatening and taunting God's people. And God chooses this, this teenage kid, David. He's kind of this nobody to defend his people, to defeat Goliath. And what does David say to Goliath? when he comes out to meet him in combat. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, that's Goliath, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in what? The name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you defied. And, and a thousand years later, Jesus, the son of David, the great, 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 great grandson of David, would be born. And as Pastor Tim Keller puts it, Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Church, Advent means that you don't have to strive anymore. The Lord of hosts, the God of armies, fights for you. But that's, that's not all. Advent means you can also start resting. Not just stop striving, but you can actually start resting. And you can start resting because someone else is doing the accomplishing. Someone else is bringing this about. You can start resting because the Lord of hosts will do this. And you see this in one of the most well-known passages in the Old Testament, another Isaiah passage that is fulfilled in ultimately in Jesus and his birth. And uh, even if you've never heard these verses read from the Bible, if you've ever been to a performance of Handel's Messiah, you know these verses, you've heard them, and they will ring in your ears. So listen to this, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Isaiah writes, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called the title of our, our Advent series. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. But, but how is that going to happen? How is that great promise going to come to pass? Look at, look at that last line. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Who's going to make this happen? How's this going to get done? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You can rest because the Lord of hosts is going to accomplish this. And he has done this. Jesus has come. And, and even as we wait for him to come again, we can rest knowing that he is accomplishing the work. He has accomplished the work. And when King Jesus was born in a dirty cave in Bethlehem, 
when the long-awaited work of the Lord of hosts is finally being accomplished, who is there to announce the good news but the heavenly host? This is Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. The, the shepherds are there watching over the flocks, and then an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I will bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you this day in the city of David a Savior is born, who is Christ the Lord. And this Savior is a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly, there with the angel, a multitude of what? The heavenly hosts, praising God and singing, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Because the Lord of hosts fights for you, you can stop striving and because he has accomplished it, you can rest. But how do we begin to put that truth to work on Monday in our lives, in our bodies? How do we move that from just being something that's in our memory banks to actually being in our muscle memory? And I just want to suggest one next step for us in that today that we can take. And that is to wait for the one who fights for you. Wait for the one who fights to you. Because Advent is a season of waiting. That's what Advent in the season of the life of the church is all about. It's a season of waiting. The season of waiting when we remember the long thousands of years when God's people waited for Jesus to come. And as we remember that we still, too, we are waiting now for his return again to finish the work, to make all things new. And as long as we are waiting we are confronted with the reality that all is not as it should be. Aren't we? Broken marriages, addiction, human trafficking, deaths of despair, disappointment with parents, worries about children. They are all vivid reminders that we need someone to fight for us. Painful reminders that we need the Lord of hosts on our side, that we need to wait with patience for him to do and win and accomplish what we haven't and can't and won't be able to do on our own. But how do we do that? How do we remember? How do we rest in the waiting? Well, I want you right now in this moment to take just, just a pause for a moment to think of a battle that you are fighting, an area where you are striving right now. Kids, maybe for you, it's, it's something at school. Maybe it's a, a test or a project you're coming back to after this break. I, I don't know, maybe it's a relational conflict, a conflict an, an intractable problem at work. Maybe it's health, finances, anything. But think of that place where you're doing all you can and it's not working. That place where you've done all that you can and you're starting to lose hope because you don't know what else you can do. And there doesn't seem to be a way out, where there doesn't seem to be a way forward. Okay, so think about that for a moment. Do you have that situation in mind? Are, are you feeling it in your body? Okay, good. 
Now, as you think about this, I, I, want, I want to actually ask you to do something in the room, which always feels a little bit weird, but I actually actually did do this. I want you, as you think about this situation, just to, just to clench your fists. Just think about that and, and just clench your fists. Clench your fists acknowledging that you've been fighting that battle on your own. Acknowledging the place where, you're, where you are striving, naming the reality that you are holding on in your own strength. So, so clench them tight. Okay? Now, as you're clenching them, now just take a deep breath and open them. Just have your palms up as a sign, one, that you're releasing that to him. God, you fight this battle for me. And also, as you keep those hands open, say, I'm, I'm waiting to receive the rest, the peace that you give. So let's practice that together this week. When you start to feel the anger, the overwhelm, the despair, the frustration, the sadness, the loneliness, when you start to feel those things, just pause, clench your fists, and then take a deep breath, open your hands. That's kind of an enacted prayer of surrender, a prayer of trust that the Lord of hosts fights for us, that his zeal, not our striving, will accomplish his purpose. So this week, as you're putting up your Christmas decorations, as you're going shopping, doing all that, when you see a nativity scene, we're going to see lots of them this month, right? When you see a nativity scene, notice the angels. Don't overlook them. Don't ignore them. Don't just let them blend into the background. Let them remind you that the baby born in the manger is the Lord of hosts, who commands his forces to accomplish his purposes and to keep his promises. The Lord of hosts, who is zealous for your healing and wholeness, who is longing for your rescue. This child who was born to us, the son who is given to us, he is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, and the zeal of the Lord of hosts, the God of armies and the angels. He has accomplished this in a way that no one would have expected, right? Because when he came down to, to do this, when the Lord's zeal came in human form, it didn't look like this, right? It didn't look like ripped Santa's. No, he came as a weak and vulnerable human, as a baby. You can take that down. The other guys. I was going to be distracting for the rest of the time that's up there. He came as a weak and vulnerable human baby, as the one who, at the end of his life, said to his followers who thought that they needed to defend him, the Lord of hosts, against arrest and betrayal. What did he say to him in that moment? Do you think that I cannot call on my Father and he will at once put more than 12 legions of angels at my disposal? Friends, Jesus is the Lord of angel armies. And all this means that you don't have to be afraid of your weakness and brokenness anymore. You don't have to fix or save yourself. The Lord of hosts has come for you. He fought the battle. He won. Advent means you can stop striving and start resting. Let's wait for him with open hands this Advent. Let me pray for us now. 
Lord of hosts, we do wait for you. And as we wait, we call out to you and we say, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, ransom your people that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. O come, O King of nations, bind in one heart all of mankind. Bid our sad division cease and be yourself our King of peace. Lord of hosts, we trust in you. We rest in you. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us?
Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, let's recite together the things that we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed. It'll be on the screen here. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Well, as people who proclaim these truths, we are invited to come to the table. And so in a moment, as you do that, when the server is in place, gather in groups around the server. There's one uh, station here in the front. There's one in the corner back here. And when you do that, you'll take the bread. And when everyone's done that, you'll dip that into the juice. And then we'll all partake together. If you don't feel comfortable to take communion in this way, um, we have the individual packets. Is that true? I don't even know if I'm saying the true thing there. That's true at Brookside. That actually might be true. We, we do. Okay. Tim's saying yes. We have prepackaged communion elements also. So if you need that, um, we have those still. And uh, as we partake in communion today, we taste and touch with our tongues the body and blood of Jesus. We would receive Jesus' forgiveness. We taste his victory his battle won, we receive his rest. We receive the good news that he cried from the cross, that it is finished. So come now to the Lord's table to taste and touch that good news.
Would you stand and sing with us one more time? Church, I am so glad that we don't have to fight our own battles. And I know many of us, right, we, we've done that, we've tried that, we're, we're still going to keep trying that. Uh, but to be able to release those things to a God who fights for us, um, who loves us, who cares for us, who wants to enter into those hard spaces with us, um, we can trust him in those places. And if you're, if you're struggling with that, um, as probably everybody in this room uh, to some extent. Um, but if you'd like prayer specifically today, we're going to have um, members of our, our prayer team up here after the service uh, underneath the, the yoke and underneath the cross if you'd like to, to just be able to try to let, let go of those things, release those things with someone else uh, today in prayer. I know they would love to be able to do that with you. Well, again, thank you for, for worshiping with us today. If, if I haven't met you yet, my name's Nathan. I'd love to be able to chat with you after the service, uh, get to know you. Really grateful that you are here today at church. Also, on your, on your way out, so this is, uh, as Bill said, this is the first Sunday of Advent, first Sunday of our Advent series. Uh, we have a new uh, journal that goes with the Formed Life, so if you've been doing those with us, this one is uh, specifically for Advent. Uh, make sure you pick that up on your way out. Uh, also, you want to you wanna make sure and grab the bookmark that goes with it. Make sure there's one of those in there. There's a slightly different ordering here at the Shawnee campus, and so that will help kind of guide you along in that. Well, again, we're so grateful that you're here today. As we close now with the benediction, I want to read these words from the Apostle Paul 
uh, to the letter to the Romans. I mean, if you feel comfortable, uh, just raise a hand just, just as a symbol that you receive this word of blessing. As we go now from being the church gathered in this place to scattered in the places God has, has put you, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen? Go in peace.